right. Good morning, everybody. So there's a, a table right out front um, in, in the welcome area that gives more information about that pole barn fundraiser. Uh, like you saw in the video, this is some missionaries that we support here, and people from Spice would have been going the last 14 years to help with the construction projects. And, and so this is a major thing. The fundraiser is a major thing that's coming up April 5th. And so tickets are on sale today, and they're out in their foyer. And so I would ask you to prayerfully consider being a part of that and contributing to this amazing ministry. There's a lot more information out in the foyer you can get. All right, get your Bibles out if you would, please. We are starting a new series here today where we're going to be going through the book of James. And uh, if you're not familiar with your Bible yet, James is in the New Testament, clear at the end of your Bible, right after the book of Hebrews and right before First and Second Peter and First and Second, Third John and Jude and Revelation. So clear at the end of, of your Bible. And when you look at the book of James, James is one of the most practical books in the New Testament. Um, it really is a how-to manual for Christianity. And when you look at the book of James, one of the major themes that James deals with is this issue of spiritual maturity. I want you to look at how the writer of Hebrews describes spiritual maturity. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely... We don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. And so God willing, we will move forward to further understand. What I want you to see here from this passage, and really when we look at the book of James here, is that it is God's will for you to grow up spiritually. It's the reason why we have as our mission statement here at One Chapel that we help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. This is our mission statement because we really believe this is God's will. It's God's will for you to grow up spiritually. But the question becomes, so what does that mean? What does it mean to be spiritually mature? Well, first of all, let me describe it from the kind of the backward sense of it. What, is it, what, what does it not mean, in, in other words? Because first, spiritual maturity has nothing to do with age. You can be a Christian for 50 years and still not be spiritually mature. Second, spiritual maturity has nothing to do with achievement or what you can accomplish. Well, you can accomplish a lot and still be not spiritually mature. You can have four degrees after your name and still be very immature spiritually. And then third, spiritual maturity has nothing to do with comparing yourself to other people. And in other words, you may feel like you're more spiritually mature than the person sitting beside you. Come on, poke your neighbor. Make sure that they're awake and just tell your neighbor he's talking about you now. Okay, come on. I know you guys didn't got, got less sleep here last night, so you're going to have to help your neighbor stay awake. But when you think of spiritual maturity, it has nothing to do with the other person. The other person sitting beside you or anybody else in the world is not the standard by which we measure our spiritual maturity. Look at this in Ephesians 4, how Paul describes this, verse 11. It says, it, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no, be no longer the infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. 
Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. See, we are to grow up in our spiritual walks with Christ, in our, in our spiritual maturity. We are to actually grow up in that. And when you get it right down to it, spiritual maturity has everything to do with what's going on on the inside of you. It's your attitude. It's your character. D.L. Moody said it this way. He said, character is what you, is what you are in the dark. Character is what you are in the dark. See, everybody, recognition is what people say about you, but character is what God says about you. Hello? I know, you, I know you didn't get enough sleep last night, but isn't it true? Recognition is what people say about you. Character is what God says about you. That's why spiritual maturity has nothing to do with age or achievement or accomplishment, and spiritual maturity is not comparing yourself with anybody else. Spiritual maturity is only marked by comparing yourself to the Word of God. And here in the book of James, throughout these chapters, he describes for us these kind of big, huge marks for, to, to kind of give us a reality check on, on spiritual maturity. Now, I want to kind of go through these with you here this morning over these next few minutes. I'm going to describe these because in each one of the chapters, there's five chapters in James, and each one of the chapters, he kind of brings up to point one of these aspects of these marks of spiritual maturity. And if you will, I want you to kind of look at it as a mirror this morning where you look at your reflection, you ask the question, okay, how am I doing? How am I doing in this area that James says is a mark of spiritual maturity? The first one he says, number one, a spiritually mature person is positive under pressure. You're positive under pressure. And this first mark is described in the first chapter of James, James 1, verse 2. He says, consider it for joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish his work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so this first test of spiritual maturity is how do you react to problems when they come into your life? Think about that. How do you react when things don't go the way you think they should go? I mean, do, do problems just blow you away? When you encounter problems, you get anxious and uptight and, and, and get angry. When you encounter problems, you just start grumbling, complaining. When you encounter problems, it's completely shake and rock, rock your faith. How do you handle it when problems come into your life? In John 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Listen, everybody, Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is not something you do on Sundays. Christianity is a life. You with me? Christianity is a life. That's what Jesus said. And the life that Jesus empowers us doesn't take away your problems and difficulties. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in this life, you're going to have difficulty. You're going to have problems. There's going to be tragedies. There's going to be all these things you're going to face. But this life that Jesus empowers us is to empower us to walk through those problems and those difficulties in a positive way. And so, what's your attitude when things don't go the way you think they should go? I mean, are, are you negative or are you positive? Are you faith-filled or are you critical and cynical? Are you grateful or do you find yourself constantly grumbling? Are you peaceful or are you angry most of the time when these problems come? In your notes, I gave you a little blank there because I want you to rate yourself. On a scale of 1 to 10, how are you doing in this area? 1 means you're failing miserably. 10 means you're perfect at this. And so I want you to just take a second and try to be honest with yourself and ask yourself the question, how, how, I, how do I do when it comes to handling problems, 
what's my response to them? How do I react to these problems? And just give yourself a score. Don't look at me. Look on your piece of paper. Give yourself a score on how you think you're doing in this area. In James chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who perseveres in a trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Because here's, 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 the, here's the interesting thing, because you can have an enormous amount of knowledge in the Bible and still be as cantankerous as all get out. You having knowledge means nothing. Knowledge doesn't make you spiritually mature. Being positive under pressure, that's a mark of spiritual maturity. And so just evaluate that in your own life. How am I doing in this area? James says this is one of the marks of spiritual maturity, so how are you doing? Just be, just be honest with that. Here's the second one. Number two, a spiritually mature person is sensitive to people. You're sensitive to people. And we see this mark in the second chapter of James, James 2, verse 8. It says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. See, a spiritually mature person is sensitive to people. In other words, you're not just looking after your own needs. You don't just see your own needs. You see the needs of others. You understand their hurts. You're sensitive to, uh, to the interests of others. I, I, I'm thinking about this with kids. Because with children, when they're immature, all they do is see themselves, right? It's just all about me. I want this. I want that. I don't care about anybody else. I want what I want, and I want it right now. It's all about me, 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 me all the time, right? That's how children are while they're immature. And as parents, we're trying to teach our kids not just to think after number one. Listen, everybody, God says that love, being interested in other people, then is a mark of your spiritual maturity. James gets really specific about this. Look at this in James 2, starting in verse 1. It says, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meetings wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand, but, but say to the poor man, you stand here or you sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? He promised those who love him. But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? And so James is describing here, don't show favoritism. Don't be a snob. Don't look down on other people. Don't judge people by their exterior appearances. Don't insult people. Don't exploit people. This is why the second test of spiritual maturity is love. How do I treat other people? And so there you know, it's just evaluate that in yourself. Let's go to 1 to 10. 1 again, being you're failing miserably. 10, you're perfect at this. How are you doing in loving others? How are you doing in treating others? The Apostle Paul, he says it this way in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Jesus, he, he said it this way in Matthew 25, starting verse 31. He said, when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in the heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, 
You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers of mine, you did for me. You know, I think this is what's so interesting about this passage here in this Matthew 25 judgment is that the one thing that we'll be judged for is how we treated other people. Not how many Bible verses you've memorized, not how many times you came to church, not what type of reputation you had, but actually how you treated other people. This is a mark of spiritual maturity. And so how are you doing in this area? Just be honest with yourself. How are you doing in treating other people? Let that kind of reflect back to you. Here's number three. A spiritually mature person has mastered his mouth. <laughs> okay, we're getting a little pointed now. A spiritually mature person has mastered his mouth. We see this in the third chapter of James. Look at this in James chapter 3, verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. Now think about this just kind of in the natural. Because what's one of the first things that a doctor will do if you go in for a checkup? What will he ask you to do? Open your mouth, stick out your tongue, right? It's interesting that he uses, the doctors will use your tongue as a, to try to figure out what's going on with you physically. Well, think about this. Is, it happens the same spiritually, you know, so, so to speak, because, because this issue of self-control really comes from tongue control, right? Self-control really comes from tongue control, and we get ourselves into so much trouble because of the things that come out of our mouth. Have you ever heard someone say something like, well, I just say, I, I just say what's on my mind. I mean, it's, they're kind of, they, they like being frank. It's, it's, I, they almost get prideful with it, being frank, being up front, just telling you how it is. But look at this, because the Bible says that's not frankness, that's immaturity. Ephesians 4 verse 29 says, don't say anything that would hurt another person. Instead, speak only what is good so that you can give help wherever it is needed. That way, what you say will help those who hear you. In other words, we are to watch what we say. When you talk, don't just say things that are going to build yourself up, but say things that are actually going to build other people up. And if it doesn't build people up, even if it's the truth, if it doesn't build them up, don't say it. My mom used to always say, maybe your mom did the same thing, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all, right? Don't say anything at all. You don't say anything. Well, this, is, this is what James is describing here. This is a mark of spiritual maturity. A spiritual mature person manages his mouth. And so, how are you doing? <laughs> Just be honest with yourself. How are you doing? It's got a 1 to 10. How are you doing in managing your mouth? James 1 verse 26 says, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, look what he says, he what? He actually deceives himself and his religion is worthless. In other words, I could have memorized 100,000 Bible verses. I could have studied everything in, in, in the Bible. I could have gone to church every single Sunday of my life. But if I may gossip, my religion is worthless. 
Did you hear that? If I spread rumors, my religion, my religion is worthless. If I'm always saying that things are not accurate or I exaggerate things or I'm impulsive or harsh with the words that come out of my mouth, then my religion is actually worthless. See, the te- a test of spiritual maturity is can you manage your mouth or not? And so just be honest with yourself. How are, how are you doing in this area? It's just kind of a reality check. With you. Are you all with me here this morning? Here's the fourth one. Number four, a spiritually mature person is a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. He's a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. And we see this in the fourth chapter of James, James 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires of battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you can't have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You don't have because you do not ask God. See, James is talking about this issue of conflict. How do I handle conflict? Am I constantly arguing with people around me? Am I a contentious person? Are my feelings always getting hurt? Am I easily defensive? Am I hurting other people's feelings? In other words, am I a peacemaker or am I a troublemaker? And so just think about this in your own life. How are you doing in this area? How are you doing in this area of conflict? Just, just score yourself on a score. Rate, rate yourself on a score from 1, one to 10. And just try to be honest with yourself about this area. Because James goes on in this chapter, and he kind of expounds on this idea of conflict in our eyes and why there is so much conflict. Look in verse 3. It says, when you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with the wrong motives, that, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures, is what he says. So the first reason why there's so much conflict in our lives, first reason why there's so much conflict in the world, first reason why there's so much conflict in your marriage and with your, your friends and your family and your coworkers, the first reason why there's so much conflict in our lives is because of sinfulness. Sinfulness is that first thing that causes us to have so much conflict in our lives. When I want what I want, it's going to cause conflict with other people. When Courtney and I have conflict in our lives, it's generally because she's being selfish and proud and won't admit that she's wrong. (laughs) Actually, it's probably more me. I'm being selfish and proud and won't admit that I'm the one being wrong here. But selfishness guarantees conflict. Conflict at home, conflict at work, conflict at church, conflict with your friendships. It's conflict wherever you go because you're just looking out for number one. And then James says there's another reason why there's so much conflict, and that is because we judge others. Verse 11 says, brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So he's saying that So when, when you're constantly looking for fault in others, when we're stirring up strife, when we're, we're, we're stirring up rumors, we're guilty of judgmentalism, and that will always cause conflict. And what he's describing here is that judgmental people are spiritually immature. And so the fourth characteristic is, is really, a, a, for a spiritually mature, spiritually mature person, is whether or not you are a peacemaker or a troublemaker. So just be honest with yourself, how am I doing in this area? Just kind of score yourself in this area as well. And here's the fifth one. And this one's found in the fifth chapter of James. James 5, verse 7. It says, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the Father waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, 
because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. And so here, James, he's given this illustration of a farmer. And if anybody has to be patient, farmers are one of those people that just have to be patient. I grew up in farm country in, in Colorado, and my dad was a dairy farmer and, and farmed all sorts of crops. And, and so when you think about a farmer and what they do, they plant seeds, they water the seeds, they take care of the land, but at the end of the day, they sit there and wait, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait. Why? Because there's no such thing as an overnight crop. And so what James is talking about here is that just like a farmer, we also have to wait. Listen, everybody, you're going to have to wait. We wait so much in our life. We wait on God for an answer to a prayer. We wait on God for to, to answer a miracle. We wait on God to work in our lives. We have to wait constantly. Throughout our lives, we're constantly having to wait. See, patience is a mark of spiritual maturity. And the only way you learn patience is by waiting. I hate to pop your bubble, everybody, but the only way that you're going to learn patience is by waiting. There is no other way. Those of you who have been asking God for patience, listen, you're already in it. But the only way you're going to learn and grow in patience is by your ability to wait, to trust while you're waiting. Continues on, verse 16. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Isn't that interesting? In the context of waiting, look what he says. Make sure you have interaction with people. Confess your sins so there's healing that's, that's going on. Then he says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. In other words, he's talking about this idea that in your waiting, don't just sit there and do, do nothing. Pray for each other. Prayer and waiting are a powerful thing, as long as it doesn't turn into grumbling and complaining while you're waiting. That's not prayer. That's faithlessness. Faith is turning your worries into a conversation and a prayer with God. And listen, if you can be, if you can be fearful, you can be faithful. Because fear is faith that the bad thing is going to happen. And so if you can choose to be fearful, you can choose to be faithful, full of faith, because at the end of the day, it's a decision. Where are you going to put your trust? Where are you going to put your hope? And so he says, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. If anybody was patient, he's talking about here, Elijah was one of those. Elijah was one of those guys who was patient. Elijah was patient and prayerful. And listen, everybody, that's a mark of spiritual maturity. And so how are you doing in this area? How are you doing in the area of being patient when troubles and difficulty happen in your life? How are you responding in those times where just if nothing's happening, nothing's changing there in your life? So just be honest. Score yourself. Give your score on a scale of 1 to 10. How are you in being patient? Now, when I, when I was preparing this message, we're going to dig into James over these next six weeks. We're going to kind of go by chapter by chapter. And, and by the way, these, these little... Um, books. What, what I did for this series is because to go through really verse by verse through James, we'd be in it probably for the next 20 weeks. And so what I did is I, I've just chosen from each chapter major topics in this how-to manual. And then what I created is kind of like a, a small group um, 
um, discussion of some of the areas that we're going to talk about and some of the areas we're not going to actually get to. And so this is for you to take home, everybody. And it's something you can go through yourself as your own individual Bible study as, as we're going through this series. It's something for you as you're reading your Bible and kind of concentrate on the book of James over these next six weeks. If you're in a group um, or you want to gather a group together and talk about it, you can do it as a family or you can do it individuals. This is just a resource for you to kind of bring you along as we're talking through the book of James. So take this with you. Um, we'll keep handing these out through, throughout the series. But I want to let you know what this is about. But as I was, as I was putting this, this message together, you know, I, I realized, you know, this is not necessarily, if we're, if we're really honest with ourselves, this is not necessarily an easy or feel-good message because it reflects back to us reality. And I just think it's easy for us to kind of go through life thinking all's well. <laughs> you know, uh, you're here in church this morning. You got up an hour earlier to come to the first service, right? So, Everything should be good, right? You, you came to church. You believe that there's a God, or at least you're, you're in the process of trying to, to search for, is, is God really real or not? You, and so it's easy to just kind of look at ourselves and say, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm okay. But what James does, he makes it very practical, very tangible, and he asks these really five big questions in these five chapters, how are you doing in these five areas? Because that's reality. Remember, Character is what God thinks about you. Recognition is what people say about you. And so, how are you doing? If you would, I want you to just close your eyes, if you would, please. And I want you to take this moment just to bring this before the Lord. We, we had the conversation about it, so just, just let, let God just kind of bring these up in you and you just bring it before the Lord. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you. It only matters what God thinks about you. You can... You can obviously fool me, you can fool others around you, but none of us can fool God. He knows exactly what's going on in your heart. And so some of you, when it comes to this first area of being positive and under pressure, some of you, you need to pray, you know, God, will, will you change my attitude? Will you change my attitude from one of griping to an attitude of gratefulness. That needs to be your prayer here this morning. God, will you help me handle the problems of life and not be negative about them and not let them get me down? Teach me to be positive under pressure. Some of you, that needs to be your, your, your prayer here today. Some of you husbands, when it comes to the second area of being sensitive to people, some of you husbands need to pray, Lord, please forgive me. I've been so insensitive to my wife. When she talks, I... I tune her out, or I read the paper, I watch TV, I, I don't listen because I don't think, you know, there's really anything important that, that I need to listen to. I'm too caught up in my own world to even care about what's going on in her world. Some of you husbands, that needs to be your prayer right now. And some of you wives, you need to pray, Lord, help me to be sensitive to my husband and the pressures maybe that he's undergoing right now, the difficulties that he's handling. Help me not just to Take those things for granted. Help me not just to load them up with more stuff, but to be actually more sensitive to what's going on in his life. And maybe some of your parents, you need to pray, Lord, please forgive me for being insensitive to my kids. Help me to realize and to see what's actually going on inside of their heart. Help me not just to look at behavior but to see the character that you're building, to see what's going on on the inside of them. Help me to 
quit expecting them to be in a place where they're not yet. Help me to be patient. Help me to be sensitive to their hurts and needs and problems. And then some of you, when it comes to this third area, mastering your mouth, some of you need to pray, God, I'm sorry. I've been a gossip. I've been spreading rumors. I've talked behind other people's backs. I've shared things that weren't positive, that weren't for the building up of others, but really for the tearing them down. God, help me not be so impulsive with my mouth. Lord, you said if I can't control my mouth, then my religion is worthless. So help me watch over my speech and to only speak that which builds up. Forgive me for those harsh words, those angry words, those reckless words that I have spoken. And some of you, when it comes to this fourth area of being a peacemaker, not a troublemaker, some of you need to pray, God, you know I've got this temper, and Lord, I need you to help me with it. You know I've got this pride in my life, and God, I need you to help me. You know, Lord, it's easy for me to judge other people. God, help me to realize that all that's going on to cause that I'm doing to cause conflict or to stir up strife. Help me to realize that you're God and I'm, I'm not to act like I'm God. I don't have all the facts. I don't have all the motives of what's going on in other people's hearts. Help me to leave that judgment to you. Help me not to judge other people. Continue to root out selfishness and pride in me. And some of you, when it comes to this first area of being patient and prayerful, some of you have been waiting for a long, long time for an answer, for change, for a healing, for something to happen in a situation. And some of you just need, need to pray here this morning, God, help me. Help me to grow in patience. Help me to develop a prayer life, to talk to you more about these things, to show my dependence on you by talking to you and bringing you in on these things and not just getting angry about it or getting impatient about it, but help me to be steady. And help me to continue to look to you, to trust you, to let go of the things I'm holding on or trying to control. Help me to be a patient and prayerful person. Father, I thank you for your word here today. And I thank you that this book of James it's just such a, a practical manual for how we're to live this Christian life. Thank you. But this is not stuff that just deals with theory, but it deals with areas that, that every one of us, that every one of us need to work on our attitudes, our actions, our words, our thoughts, our relationships. And so, Father, would you help us? Father, even as we talked this morning, already in worship, would we bring you in to the middle of those things? and not just push you out. Help us to live this life that Jesus has for us and not just to act as a religion, a Sunday thing. Lord, help us to mature spiritually, to grow up into all that you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're gonna take communion here together. And, and I, I feel like I say this every Sunday that this is, this is a physical action of taking these things and just bringing them before, before, before God. We talk about how community is a sacrament. It's, a, it's a, this, this visual thing that Jesus settled for us. That the reason why 
you can have a relationship with God is because of what Jesus did. It's not because you were really good this week. It's not because you passed every one of these spiritual markers. It's because of what Jesus did. This life is not about you being perfect. It's always come back to what Jesus did. And this reminds us. And so Jesus said that every time we gather together, remember, remember what this is about. Remember what Jesus did for us. And so we have two stations here in front of our sections. And how we'll do this is you're going to exit in the middle. You'll come forward and go this direction. If we would just take a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. Our ministry teams are going to the side. And um, don't, don't be afraid if someone just grabs you and, and, and touches you or prays for you as you're doing that. That's, we just feel like we, we know God wants to touch you. We know God wants to speak to you. And so these ministry teams are just here to be a part of this. So if you would stand on your feet here and let's do this together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that you're right here in the middle of everything that's going on in our life. And as we talked about it, as we sang, that you've not left, but you're right here and there is an open heaven. That everything that you have, that you want to deposit in us. And so, Father, I thank you for these men and these women, these young people here today. And I thank you for what you're doing. I, God, I thank you for the light that you placed inside of them to make a difference in their workplaces, in their neighborhoods, in their families. And so, Father, I just speak your blessing over them. That this week, Lord, that they would step in faith, that they would step in boldness in all that you have for them. God, thank you. Thank you so much for really these world changers that are in our midst. And Lord, I thank you for the purposes that you have for their lives being accomplished. And Lord, I thank you that you will use them in mighty ways this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Our ministry teams will just stick up here to pray with you. We do that every single Sunday because I always want you to know that there is, you can come and you, that you don't have to leave here without any talking to you or ministering to you. I don't ever want this to be a spectator thing, but this is something God wants to touch you with. Whatever's going on in your life, let somebody come alongside of you. You know, as you're waiting, we just talked about that with Elijah, that the, the prayers of a righteous man or a woman are powerful and effective, and so they're going to hang out here. If this is one of your first time to be here and you've never been at a welcome party, we have what we call just a five-minute welcome party. This is right at the end of service here. So it's 10.50, so at 10.55... Um, so in five minutes, right at the top of the ramp, we do a welcome party. And it's just a five-minute long party where basically you're going to hear just a little about who we are. It'd be great to meet you if you want to stick around for that. Also, everybody, remember, we're coming to the end of our challenge, your $50 challenge. So if you haven't already sowed your seed into somebody, don't forget, look, listen to how the Holy Spirit leads you. Make sure you email me your story, all right? Let me hear about your story, what's going on. And you guys have a great week. We'll see you next week. God bless you, Eric.